Welcome to this episode of Creator Talks. I'm your host, Christopher Calloway. This episode, I have not one, not two, but three guests on the show. I have the entire creative team of the upcoming comic book, Regression, being published by Image Comics. Yes, I have the writer, Cullen Bunn. I have the artist, Danny Luckert. And I have the colorist, letterer, Marie Enger. All three on the show to talk about regression and talk about hypnosis, regression therapy, and other topics and fun things that we digress into as we do on the show, which is always a lot of fun. This is Cullen's first publication through Image Comics, so this is his own. He does a lot of work for other comic book companies such as Marvel Comics, for Dark Horse Comics, and this is his own thing that he's going to be doing with Danny and Marie. So, uh, it's great to have the input of all the creators on the show for an interview, and I don't think I've ever had the entire creative team. I usually don't get the letterer, but since Marie's pulling double duty as colorist and letterer, I do. Cullen is known for writing horror comic books, in particular, Horror County for Dark Horse Comics, and he's even taking a swing at Conan, the Slayer, also being published by Dark Horse Comics. We don't get into that book, but I did want to put that out there because I know some of my listeners are fans of Sword and Sorcery and fans of Conan, as am I. It is an adaptation of the Robert E. Howard story, The Devil in Iron, so you might want to check that out. Yeah, it's not a horror book, but there are elements of horror in it being Conan, so uh, it's worth checking out. I like it. I enjoy it. Okay, let's get started with my interview with Cullen, Danny, and Marie about regression. Welcome to Creator Talks, Colin, Danny, and Marie. Thank you. Thank you for having us. It is a pleasure to have you all here together virtually, and I want to begin talking about hypnotism. And Colin, I know you have a familiar connection to it through hypnosis and regression therapy. And as a former student of psychology many, many years ago, I am very eager to hear about this, your firsthand impressions of past life progressions that you've seen. Yeah, my dad... Uh one of the many hats he wore um, over his life. Uh, he was a stage hypnotist for many years, and uh, and I actually uh, used to perform with him. People think it's a joke when they see it on my bio, but I used to perform <laughs> with him as the world's youngest hypnotist when uh, I was like uh, – I, I only vaguely remember it, uh, so I was very young. Um, and uh, he did that for, for a few years, and then – but. Even after he stopped being a, a stage hypnotist, he would continue uh, kind of having private uh, hypnosis, group hip, hypnosis sessions. And during those, he would often do uh, past life regressions. And uh, uh, I don't know how to, describe, <laughs> how to describe it other than to say it was some of the most bizarre uh, – there, there were some of those bar- bizarre experiences I've ever had. Uh, and I mean – seeing these people describe in vivid detail uh you know accounts of of lives they you know had not lived and you know or they they weren't living currently uh speaking with accents speaking in strange languages that they said they didn't know uh and it's it was just very uh it it had such an impact on me that it's kind of haunted me all these years uh since that time i've gone to since that time i've i've gone to New Age bookshops that have had like regressions, you know, regression meetings and things like that, and uh, and that stuff to me is just a joke. It's nothing like what I saw my dad do 
during those hypnosis sessions. And uh, and like I said, they've just it's it's haunted me. It was what planted the seed for this uh, for this comic all those years ago. A regression session. What yeah, is that they, like? Is like, they, hi, my name is Napoleon. Um. Well, <laughs> seriously, it, it, uh, you, you think <laughs> you're joking, but I remember, uh, you know, going to these. Uh, I went with a, a couple of times, and it was like in the back room at New Age bookstores, and I went in thinking it was going to be a lot like what I saw my dad do. And uh, and yeah, it's just a bunch of people sitting in a room, and someone you know telling them to imagine what they, you know, what their life might have been like, and people just you know sort of spouting off nonsense, almost like daydreaming, like you know sitting there and group daydreaming, and uh, and I real I really feel like that gives past life regressions a bad name because <laughs> it was so it was so hokey and ridiculous uh, that I, I you know it's like a if you ever work in the service, you know, in the food service industry as a, a waiter or a waitress, you know, from that day forward, you can never, you, you are either super hypercritical of other waiters and waitresses or very forgiving. I guess I'm, when it comes to hypnosis, I'm super hypercritical or when it comes to a uh, past life regression. <laughs> now, was your father self-taught or did he have a mentor to learn how to do that? So one of my greatest regrets in life is that I never really push the issue with my dad uh, before he passed away. Uh, what he always told me was in his, you know, in his sort of countryfied way, he would just say, I learned from an old French gentleman when I was in the army. That's all he would ever tell me. And I never, you know, and I just kind of let it stay with that. Um, but I never, I never pushed it and kind of dug deeper. And I, I, I've, I regret that in, in a big way. Wow. Yeah. Maybe hypnosis is becoming popular again because, um, I remember back in college, they had someone come to the school to demonstrate hypnosis, and I, I didn't go because I was chicken or I was afraid of becoming a chicken, one or the other. <laughs> I, I just didn't go. And then um, after – we emailed uh, yesterday, and shortly after that, I was driving down the road. I wasn't driving while I was emailing, and there was a sign for a hypnosis clinic like right down the street from me, and I, I never noticed that. And um, I was at a con a couple years ago, and they had a hypnosis there, and I did see him do his act. Uh, Jeff Jordan, he is a hypnotist. He's considered the world's tallest hypnotist, uh, mixed martial artist, and Deadpool cosplayer. What a, what a, <laughs> what a combination. Yeah. <laughs> and he hypnotized people, and they would, and some of them would get up and dance. And it was really, really funny because they were so into it. And yep. it seems sincere, and it looks like a lot of it is you try to find the people that have the greatest uh, suggestibility. And if they don't respond early to your suggestions, then you just kind of gently lead them off stage because they're not going to work out for the act. Right. Hmm. Yeah, my dad had a few tricks that he, you know, if he had a crowd that weren't, that, that just wasn't, there weren't any responsive people in the, uh, in his, in his audience or whatever, he had a few tricks that uh, he could, you know, that he would pull to make people think he had hypnotized somebody. Um, there were just a few things he could do. But he did have, you know, I remember one time he did it at my school and, uh, and, the vast majority of the people who were in the audience were just playing along. You know, you could just tell they were – my dad could, you know, kind of sniff that out, that they were just pretending to be hypnotized. And one of the things he would often do is say, well, I've got some apples for you here. Here's a nice crisp apple. And he would pass onions out yeah. to people in the audience or to, to, to his subjects, not peeled onions, onions with that papery skin on them. And he would just say, you know, take a big bite. And if a person was truly hypnotized, they would take a bite of that onion and start chewing it and not think anything of it, think they were 
eating an apple. Mm. But if you weren't and you tried to take a bite of that onion, you I mean your face you can't it, it's just such a reaction that uh, you could tell immediately people would just have these horrible looks on their faces and you know he'd usher them off quite you know quickly after that. Pretty good trick. <laughs> oh, gross. <laughs> Danny and Marie, and if I accidentally call you Donnie Marie, I apologize, and I'll probably lose half my audience for doing no. that. That was uh, funny. <laughs> I'm not ready to be part of that at all. I, I got to tell you, I've started having to – I make sure I mention Marie first now because I every time I'm scared I'm going to say Donnie and Marie. Every time. I'll be the country. You can be the rock. Okay. <laughs> So, Marie and Danny, have you ever witnessed someone undergoing hypnosis before, or have you undergone it yourselves? I have. Oh, sorry. Go oh, ahead. You go. Okay. Is, I haven't. So, Marie, you can go. Yeah, I have. What um, was it like? Do you remember? I, ish. I remember. It felt like a very like deep nap. And they just did it at my my high school. Had like a lock in, so no one would die on graduation night, and. That's kind of how it went. Like it was just a guy came out and then he, I guess, put us under. I don't know how to explain what he did. And then like an hour later, I kind of came back to and it felt like three minutes had passed. I felt very well rested. It was good. I think. I mean, I don't remember. <laughs> uh, maybe I didn't behave so well, but I, I don't remember disliking Until the it. hidden word is said. All right, I still don't know what it is. Don't say any words I don't know. <laughs> No new language. <laughs> Never. It sounds a lot like meditation because I do a bit of that. And if you just empty your mind, 20 minutes can pass. And if you really don't think about it, you won't realize how quickly time is passing. And before you know it, you're, you know, the alarm goes off and you're done. So it sounds some, somehow akin to that mental state. Yeah, just like letting everything go kind of and exactly whatever's mm -hmm. coming in. Yes. Yeah, I had never done any hypnotism. Uh the most I did was I went to a psychic once, but that was pretty much, you know, uneventful. <laughs> Nothing good. I can be a millionaire. <laughs> so my question to all of you, what are your thoughts and beliefs on past lives, um, Buddhist philosophy and some, some sects of it that there's a belief in, in coming back, different body, different uh, way? Do you know anyone who recalls having a past life? Um, what, any thoughts around that? Does it make any sense? I, um... I don't know. I kind of, I'd like to believe that maybe there is, you know, something like a transfer of energy and what do they say? Energy can't be destroyed. It's only transformed. So I kind of like to think that maybe, you know, past lives and you move, you keep moving forward, but I don't know. I guess we'll all find out, right? If we remember. I don't know. <laughs> Perfect recycling, you know, reincarnation. Yeah going green <laughs> yeah I, I think i'm i'm a lot like like danny and and i've said just what danny described about energy not being destroyed i've used that you know that description myself when explaining my you know sort of what i want to believe to people and uh and and I, I can tell you that you know having seen some of these uh regression regressions that my dad did and having you know kind of done a little research and watched watch some stories about other people who've done uh, you know who have claimed to have past lives or have you know relatives that have past lives or things like that um i'm as close to being a believer as i think it is possible for me to be uh, i i really I, I feel like there's something there's something there um 
you know, more things in heaven and earth kind of thing. Yeah. And uh, I, uh, I, uh, somebody once described it to me as time being an illusion, and that really we're living all these different lives all at once. Oh yeah, and, I feel like I had heard that it, like theory. Yeah, and uh, and I kind of, you know, I kind of, I kind of believe all that. I, I, uh, I, at least I'm as. I'm as I'm ninety. I'm ninety percent. I believe it ninety percent. I have to leave ten percent there. So if I'm wrong, I don't feel like I haven't entrenched myself into something that I don't want to be in. Of course, by the time I know I'm wrong, it's too late. I can't right. really get on. I can't really get on Twitter and rant about it. So. You no, know, I hear you. I kind of refer to it as the uh, eternal now. Like the only thing that really exists is right now. There is no past, present, future. It's all. That's all something we define but listen i get a few drinks in me and i start really getting <laughs> philosophical about this sort of thing um and sometimes i believe in past lives and sometimes i believe i am the only person who exists and everyone is just a figment of my imagination so um who right. knows it's, it's one or the other i feel like it's one or the other <laughs> when you go to sleep everybody disappears <laughs> right i can you know i'll let you in on a little secret that part's true <laughs> you go to bed we all just power off it's yeah. terrible <laughs> now besides um hypnosis uh as an inspiration for the regression the book that's coming up are there any films that inspired you the first thing that popped into my mind was ken russell's altered states from 1980 hmm. you know i don't i i remember watching altered states i think but I don't remember the movie very well at all. I remember Altered States more from reading about it in an issue of Famous Monsters of Filmland or something, and the uh, uh, because the uh, the, the pictures kind of mm -hmm. startled me so much. Um, but uh, I don't really remember too much about uh, too much about the movie Altered States. Um, if I'm thinking of films that might have inspired me. Um, Maybe a little bit. There was a movie, of, I don't know, 20 years ago or so called – was it uh, Dead Again? I don't – it was a Kenneth Branagh movie where uh, it was sort of a murder mystery about two people who had been uh, reincarnated. It's kind of an – it was kind of a – I remember really digging that movie at the time because I felt like they kind of got past life regression right or at least as right as it is you know, in my mind. Okay, well, that's a good one to check out. So um, give us the pitch for uh, Regression. So Regression is a story of, of, of this uh, gentleman named Adrian, sort of an everyday average guy who just happens to be experiencing these horribly vivid waking nightmares. And uh, as these nightmares are getting worse and worse, uh, Adrian agrees to undergo uh, a hypnotherapy session to kind of get to the root of, of the problem. And part of that is a past life regression. Um, the life that he, you know, is he is exposed to is is even more ghastly than the visions he's experiencing. And to make matters worse, something from that past life follows him into the present, and it kind of opens up this uh, <clears throat> this well, one just a horrible series of events, but also kind of leads to some a sort of a deeper supernatural conspiracy. So when did the idea for this first bubble up to your conscious mind? Oh, a long time ago. I mean, it's a, it's a, this is a story that I've, I've kind of 
played around with at various stages for you know years and years and years. Uh, it uh, you know when my dad was doing regressions, I remember he uh, he regressed. Uh, he was regressing. He regressed a few people, and they were, you know, describing all these details and these interesting times and interesting lives. And then he uh, regressed this one man, and he just sat there, unlike everybody else. He just sat there with this real eerie silence, and th- something about that scared me. And I, I kind of got the, you know. Uh, my dad, I think, said to everybody that uh, you know he was a new soul or didn't have any past lives, um, but I remember thinking that he did have a past life, and it was just so terrible he couldn't talk about it. And uh, and that you know I think that part has kind of you know that seed grew over years and years into the story that eventually became regression. I mean I I think I have notebooks though going back fifteen years that have notes about this story in it. So how did all of you get together to work on the book? Did you go out and, and handpick uh, Danny Marie, or were you put together by the publisher, or how did that all gel together? Well, you know, since it's a, a creator-owned book, um, and and with Image, it was definitely uh, the the publisher doesn't put put a, put us mm-hmm. didn't put us together. Okay. Um, I uh, I reached out to uh, a number of people at one point. I was looking for for collaborators on a, on, on a couple of creator owned projects. And I reached out to a number of creators and one of them referred me to, uh, to Danny. And, and that's really where, you know, we connected and started talking about projects. And this is the one that kind of, uh, that kind of, you know, say, you know, it, it, it worked for both of us. It, it, it seemed right. Um, and then, as soon as he started doing, you know, concept and character designs, I was I was sold that this was the look of of regression. And then, uh, with Marie, uh, she shares a studio with uh, Brian Hurt, who I've collaborated with on a number of books like The Damned and The Six Gun. So when I started looking for colorists, uh, she was one of the first few people I talked to. So Danny, you seem like a very good fit. Uh, for this type of book, uh, a horror genre type story. And um, even the sequential everyday type of artwork, something that's not a horrific scene, looks just as engaging to the reader. And I, I think you know, maybe just, just about anybody could draw a horrific scene uh, without a firm grasp of anatomy, just throwing some blood in a monster. But when, yeah, you right. do, when you do it, though, I mean, it looks, it looks great. It looks well, really, really good. Uh, thank you. And I feel like like those are the scenes that make the book um, like what it is really like those quieter moments, um, and that's those quieter scenes are kind of what makes the um, the horror and all the horrific stuff that eventually happens to Adrian like feel that much more intense. You know, it's almost like uh, putting an exclamation point on the sentence, and um, it's also and it also makes it. I felt so. Um, you know, the gore and the blood and the bugs and all that comes as like a real shock because it almost lulls you into a, a false security with with like this style where I'm not using a lot of blacks and like heavy inks and nothing's really in like cloaked in shadows. It's all it's all out there on the page for, you know, you could kind of see every corner of it. And um, yeah, that's that's what I was going for with the with the look. So it's not. I don't want to say a typical horror book because I feel like that doesn't sound right, but it's just something different, you know? 
No, it's not typical. Because like you said, there are like very average, ordinary scenes and they kind of lull you into a a sense of peace and oh, no problem. And then bam, there's a a shocking moment. And it it does have that effect of horrifying you because you go to an extreme. Yeah, it kind of puts the the reader on their heels a bit, which is is nice because um, Nick Cullen had mentioned a few times how like comics don't really have jump scares in them like a movie would. So you almost need you need a different tool to to get the horror across. And that's just, you know, that's one of the tools you use. And as I said, everything, the anatomy's right, the proportion's right. So it's not just throwing some blood and scary stuff together. Tell me about your artistic training that got you to this point. Um, well, I went to school for four years at the School of Visual Arts in the city. And I went to two of my, I guess, big teachers were Phil Jimenez of, you know, Infinite Crisis and all those and Dave Mazzucchelli. So I kind of, you know, studied pretty specifically under the two of them. And, you know, they're, Mazzucchelli's like a master with storytelling and, you know, Phil's great with, you know, what you were saying with body language. So I tried to, you know, take every trick they had (laughs) and steal it for myself. (laughs) Now, Marie, You've lettered Department H, and you've colored Pistol Whip. Now you're pulling double duty on this book. Is this your first time doing that, and how does it feel? Um, I I like it. <laughs> I I like knowing how to do everything. <laughs> I think it's been really helpful to me in understanding how to do everything on my own or for other people. And I I definitely don't don't mind. I mean, <laughs> I. <laughs> I don't really feel That's any good. sort of way about lettering. <laughs> I like coloring a lot. And then the lettering is something that we needed to have someone do. And I had some experience doing it. And so why not? Why not just do it? Letterers, the unsung heroes of the <laughs> industry. It's super important. Like I, I definitely have learned a lot with regression. Um, I don't, it sounds terrible. I just don't have any emotions about lettering. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me ask you this, Marie. What do you think you bring to coloring and lettering that is uniquely yours? Because with an artist, you can say, ah, oh, well, look, that's Jack Kirby. Ah, oh, that's this person. What do you consider your signature style? Or have you defined one yet for your style of coloring, the way you letter? a really frustrating amount of layers. <laughs> like if, if you look at my files and, and you know, like Brian has seen them before, they'll be 50 layers deep, hundred layers deep. The files get cra- Yeah, I know. <laughs> so I think I bring some sort of insanity to that. And uh, in a more literal sense, a lot of the, the colors from the palette are colors that I've taken from like my house or a weird bruise that I got or, this weird moss that I found on something. So I, I take a lot of photos and pull from real life. You know, I, I just haven't given a whole lot of thought to what my coloring style is other than too many layers. That's <laughs> that's it's so crappy to say, but it's the truth. I just kind of make a palette and, and then do what I do. <laughs> I haven't given it a whole lot of thought. Well, for all of you, we'll go one at a time, uh, Colin. Your influences for writing, not just for this book, but just influences that have made you the writer that you are. Most of them that I'm, gonna, that I'm going to name are not going to be uh, comic book writers. Uh, I feel like I'm a, I'm a, you know, I've always called myself a pulp writer, <laughs> and uh, and I feel like my influences, you know, I I draw influences from you know H.P. Lovecraft and Robert E. Howard. Uh, especially his horror stories. Clive Barker and Stephen King were big influences on me. Uh, Dean Koontz was a big influence. And I think 
I think regression probably shows my Dean Koontz influences more than than any other uh, any other writer. Now, and I'm just now that's just now dawning on me. Uh, and Joe R. Lansdale, those are all writers I consider you know huge uh, huge influences. Robert Robert McCammon. See, I can keep going on about novelists and short story <laughs> writers that I consider influences. Um, and then you know with comics, uh, you know I don't think I write like these people in any way, shape, or form. But uh, but Grant Morrison and Warren Ellis are big influences for me. Um, I, I find their books are the ones I, I tend to uh, return to again and again when I'm just looking for you know to be to feel inspired. So I think that's a pretty that's a pretty good list. I could, I could like I said I could probably keep going with with uh, novelists that I feel influenced by. But uh, but I think I'll stop there. Good choices, all <laughs> very good choices. Danny, how about your influences? Uh, um, well, I guess. I kind of like Colin. I kind of grab from all over, you know, comic book wise. I'm a big fan of uh, like Frank Whiteley and, you know, Mobius and um, I like McNiven, Steve McNiven a lot. And then like uh, there's this guy like Paul Madonna and he just does scenes and he, he'll do like uh, buildings mostly in San Francisco, but kind of all over the world. So like, I kind of like that as- aspect sometimes where it's just the architecture and then there's this um, there's this painter uh, Daniel Mer- uh, Merriam Merriman something like that, who does like these kind of I don't know if I call them fantasy they're 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 a little surreal actually, so I kind of like I I almost look at different people for different jobs kind of like with the covers I use someone else I'll use you know more like il- illustrators like uh, Daniel who I had mentioned and like Gustav Klimt and stuff. And then for the actual storyboards, you know, and like the look of it, you go with like, uh, I don't know, Jay Lee or something like that. Um, I don't know, because I just actually got Promethea and just everything that guy does is amazing. J.H. Williams, the third, like his his layouts and his borders. So you kind of throw everything in a pot and see what you have. And then make it uniquely yours. Yeah, uh, yeah. You give it your own your own little spin. And Marie, how about you? Oh God! I mean, the usuals, I guess. Dave Stewart and Jordi Belair. <laughs> um, but I also, you know, I especially, I guess, on regression, I took a lot of inspiration from like Reanimator, um, which I know is a terrible okay. movie, but I like. <laughs> I, Marie, we're gonna fight. It wasn't. I told you I loved it. I just said I liked it. It's not a terrible movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's a raving review. It's not a terrible movie. Well, it's not. I lo- I think it's a great movie. We're not here to talk about reanimate. I'm sorry. Um, and so some of that stuff. Um, uh, and that's kind of for regression. That was that was pretty much it. It was a lot. I don't want to say easier for me because I had the art and the words, but it was easier for me because <laughs> I had the art in the words. <laughs> there was more direction. So, you know, all their influences, I guess, are technically mine as well because that's what I was given. Um, and, I, and I'm not trying to make that sound like it's not a collaborative thing. It, it totally is, but it's, it, was just a little, it was just a little different. I'm also not, I don't know, I'm not super good about talking about my influences because there's just so many, so many people I don't know so much art out there that I see and so many colors that I see that I 
I just don't know everybody's name. Right, you're kind of always observing and absorbing everything. Yeah. Yeah. Like you were saying before, like the moss and everything like that, you know, it kind of, everything influences everything else. Yeah. Now, Colin, is this your first time publishing a book through Image? It is. Okay. It is. What is it like for you? Does it feel better doing your own thing through Image and picking your own folks to work with versus having artists picked for you and... Not that it's a bad thing, but it's, it's different. I mean, what are the, the pluses and minuses? I'm sure there's a lot more work involved trying to trying to coordinate everything yourself. Well, yeah, I, you know, I've I've dealt with, uh, you know, I've I've kind of balanced between creator-owned projects and and you know corporate-owned projects for you know for several years now, and uh, they they scratch different itches. I mean, you know, when I work for Marvel or DC, I'm, I'm writing characters that I dearly love and that meant something to me. Um, but yeah, I'm writing for someone else's, you know, for, I'm writing for someone else's property and there are, there are more voices that have a bigger say in the project. There are boundaries, there are limits. There are lots of boundaries, lots of limits. Um, and with creator owned stuff, I, those those don't exist you know that it, it's 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 the it's the it's my say or the say of my collaborators that what we're going to you know what we're going to do you may work with an editor who wants to offer suggestions but in the end it's it's you know it's your it's your project and it's going to it's going to be a very true representation of you usually um, and then, you know, now working with Image is taking it a little step further because there's more, you know, there are more pieces that I haven't, you know, having worked with other publishers, I haven't had to deal with. And now, you know, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm dealing with, uh, I'm dealing with, F, you know, using FTP to load files up and, and, you know, uh, making sure I write the solicit text, you know, before the, uh, before it gets, you know, put in previews, catalog, and things like that, that I didn't necessarily have to be as involved in doing it all myself, you know, previously. There were editors that would take care of that kind of thing. And this is a question for each of you, and Colin, I'll start with you. Is I'm sure you need some solitude for writing, uh, you know, with your family, those duties. How do you balance time for writing, promoting, putting all these pieces together, even this interview, I mean, people who listen to me regularly know that I have a family, baby, a dog, and so I'm interested in how you, a professional, manages to make time. It's it's tough. Uh, you know, making time to write is one thing. You know, I, I basically treat it as I would any any kind of job, except I work longer hours, <laughs> and and I don't really get lunch breaks. But uh, you know, so I tr- you know I work you know from from usually around 8 o'clock in the morning, sometimes 7 o'clock in the morning, till 5 or 6 at night every day. Um, and then I also do you know stuff on the off hours too. Um, but balancing the interviews and uh, you know, the marketing and, and things like that, you know, updating a website, which mine needs updating, <laughs> but balancing, balancing that is you – know, it can be tough uh, to do. Uh, I, I don't think, I don't think I'm going to insult anybody when I say that I usually respond, respond to text messages when I'm walking the dog because I can do a voice to, t- <laughs> so, so I can walk the dog. That's when I respond to text messages and check my email and respond to emails because I can do it, you know, with voice to text, uh, and, and it gets off my plate before I come back and sit down to do, to do work. 
Um, but some days are, are tougher than others, and, and really what I do is um, – uh, I you know I've heard people call it the Pomodoro technique. I just call it the kitchen timer technique. I have a kitchen timer on my desk, and I will often sit and I'll say, "Okay, I'm going to write for the next hour and a half, two hours, and that's all I'm doing is I'm working on this project. And I will not, you know, I won't check Twitter. I won't, you know, I won't do any marketing. I won't respond to emails during that time. And I set that timer and I go. And then when the timer goes off, then I can either set the timer again and work on the same thing, or I can say, okay, now I'm going to respond to emails for, for the next 30 minutes, uh, and uh, and and battling, you know, kind of uh, compartmentalizing the time helps a little bit. And having good discipline to do that. Well, you know, I you know I worked for you know, like I said, I was you know I was I worked in uh, I was working in marketing when I quit to become a full time comic book writer, and you know. I, you know, I, that I taught myself, you know, you learn how to work and that discipline is something that, you know, if, if anything I got from my, my college years of having to meet deadlines and things like that. And, uh, and then my work years, it, it's that, you know, it's how to get the work done. And Danny Marie, I would think that peace and quiet are not necessary for you drawing, lettering, coloring, et cetera. What is your muse? Do you pop in a CD? Okay. I just dated myself. (laughs) Uh, do you put on your iPod? Um, <laughs> does well, anybody have an iPod anymore? The peace part does help. <laughs> <laughs> I'll usually, uh, more often than not, I kind of, I still have like a day job. So I do most of my drawing and my like artistic work, if you want to call it that, like at night. So I'll then, um, well, my job's also a night job. So generally my day schedule is like I'll go into work at like, four to 10 or four to 12. And then from midnight to six in the morning, I'll just draw and work. I'll put on, um, I've been kind of getting into like classical music. So I'll just put that on and I just go for it. And then I wake up, you know, go to bed, wake up a few hours later and then, you know, do it all again. (laughs) But yeah. And then, uh, just really listening to music. How about you, Marie? Oh God, it depends on what I'm working on. Um, if I'm drawing, it's usually, podcasts like it has to be podcasts um when i color i get to listen to music because it it focuses me so i usually listen to a lot of like leftover crack or uh, mischief brew or what was i listening to on regression i think i got into like a really deep descendants hole on regression um so i listen to a lot of of kind of genre specific music um and when i get bored of listening to music or podcasts then I watch crappy, crappy television, <laughs> like the worst. <laughs> I think I've seen The Office and Parks and Rec about 15,000 times. <laughs> yeah. But those are awesome TV shows. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it's fine. Before it's Marie comes in and, here and, and says they're terrible, let's just get it out there. Those are awesome. I wasn't going to say that. <laughs> oh, you just think the worst of me now. I'm not even going to tell you what I want when I what I watch when I work because you'll just make fun of me. I'm not interested in that. Um, <laughs> yeah, so that's kind of what I do. Um, and I actually, uh, I still have a working iPod, so sometimes I do do all this on my iPod. That's okay. I do too. <laughs> Mine broke last year, and it's. 
it's a pain I don't know if I've still recovered from yet. <laughs> you, can't, you can't move on to another iPod. Right? Not the phone, I don't know. I don't like it's it. It's not the same. And they don't make them anymore. So you're yeah. just kind of, you're left then, like, when you, I, I like to go running. So, but you can't, I don't know, run with your phone because then it rings and it comes a whole thing. <laughs> Obviously, you've never heard of a fanny pack, sir. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> running in style. That's right. Well, now it's time for the segment of the show. My favorite, rest and relaxation. So, I want you to close your eyes. No, we're not going to do that. Um, <laughs> I don't trust you at listen all. Listen to the sound of my voice. <laughs> no. What do you each do for rest and relaxation? I did mention that I, I get philosophical when I drink, right? So yes. <laughs> I, think, I think I kind of already answered that question. Okay. <laughs> no, you know, I, uh, I like to read. I, I really enjoy reading. Um, I, I, I keep saying I'm going to make more time to watch, you know, some movies that have been building up. And I did last, just last night, I sat down and watched a movie, like just without, you know, without a laptop nearby, without, I, I just watched the movie without doing any other work. Um, and I watched The Void, which if you're a horror fan, by the way, The Void is awesome. It's just so you, you know, I'm, I'm putting that out there. I, I give it my resounding uh, endorsement. <laughs> so yeah, reading. I mean, look, I'm a, I'm a, you know, I'm a geek just like everybody else. Uh, you know, I, I, I love comics. I love books. I love movies and TV. So uh, uh, you throw in eating and drinking, and and that's me. I'm a, that's as well rounded as I get. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm kind of. You know, the same. I just actually started uh, Jerusalem, that Alan Moore book. And I've been chipping away at that beast for a while. So, uh, you know, and then, you know, movies, music, all that, all that fun stuff. I just started, I just read a book about like transcendental meditation. So I've been given that, you know, dipping my toe in the water of that world. But uh, yeah, I don't know. That's pretty much my relaxation phases. Marie? Uh, uh, I don't. <laughs> I, I take on a lot of gigs and I, I come from a family where kind of the motto was always like, if you stop working, you'll die. Um, so like a shark, I just continually plow through all my work. Um, but recently, because that's not a healthy way to live, uh, a friend of mine taught me how to knit. Yeah, and so now I just uh, go home and I knit, and I've knitted a stupid amount of hats. So if anyone ever needs a hat, that's they're on sale at Marie's website because she's going to die if she stops working. No, and no. Different target. <laughs> no, I just give them away. Like I've made so many at this point that like there's there's no more room in our house. We have a coat rack that's just covered in hats. There's yarn everywhere. It looks like some demented grandma moved into my apartment. It's awful. <laughs> um, and I hang out with birds. I have three birds, and I sit with them. That's very calming. Okay, next question: Desert Island book. <laughs> You're on a desert island with your bird, birds. <laughs> three birds. Three birds. What's the three one one book or set of books you want to have with you? You're, there's no power there, so it has to be a, a book. Okay. No iPads. No iPods. No iPhones. I thought you were going to ask how long does it take before you eat one of the birds. Okay. <laughs> Never. I would let them eat me first. I got one. I got one. Cancer Ward by Solzhenitsyn. I read it every year. It's really, really sad. 
uh, Russian literature about essentially exiled people who were saved from a gulag getting all sorts of terrible cancers. And it's an allegory for what was going on in Russia while Solzhenitsyn was exiled. Hmm. It is about as depressing as a book could be, but it's also really good. Um, and I can't get anyone to read it because its name is Cancer Ward. <laughs> I may give that a, a shot. There was a time when I was just exclusively, I guess because I didn't read in high school when you were assigned these books. Mm-hmm. So then I read like, you know, Crime and Punishment, all those, you know, all that classic <laughs> you, Russian you, you literature. <laughs> it's just a all really, Leo and Tolstoy. It's a really great book. It's a really good book. Um, it's also like 800 pages long. Yeah, that works. Depending on what translation you get, it may have like every character called by six different names, depending on circumstance. Oh, so uh, you're gonna want to bring, yeah. bring a notebook. <laughs> that's a that's a Russian novel, right? <laughs> Wait, that's a completely different name. <laughs> Danny, do you have a book? Um, yeah, I mean, kind of like what Marie was saying. There's a few books I read every year. Like I'll read East of Eden every year with Steinbeck. I'll read On the Road every year, but uh, I don't know. I guess if I had to pick one, I guess it would probably be East of Eden. Now that now that I think about it, I just I feel like that book kind of has it all, you know. And and there's a part in the beginning when um he says Steinbeck says like for a story to mean anything, it can't be about one thing. It has to be about all things. And I feel like that book has all things in it. It's a really good one. Yeah. Oh man, I'm kind of mad that I didn't choose that one. <laughs> the desert island. Can our islands be next to each other? I had that eight under books? my sleeve. And Colin, for you. Uh, I would pick uh, "Boy's Life" by Robert McCammon. Um, McCammon was, you know, was a horror writer for so many years, and, and a lot of people still classify "Boy's Life" as a horror novel because of that. And and I, I, it's not a horror novel at all. It has a lot of, it has some horror elements in it. But it's really just this sprawling story of growing up, you know, being a boy in the 50s. And it has everything I just, I, I mean, you know, it's, it's a story about how magical the world seems when you're younger. And it's a murder mystery as well, but, but there's so, you know, that's just one small part of it. And it's just a book that uh, uh, it, it's, it's beautifully written. It's inspiring because it's telling, you know, the story of how, you know, really, the author became a you know became a writer and became interested in it and the things that inspire him. But it 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 just has all these uh, these wonderful magical vignettes about uh, you know how how the world seems so much bigger and so much better uh, when you're younger and and how almost anything can happen. And uh, it's a book that that is a book that for a long time I was reading it about once a year. Um, now I'm I've got it on you know I've got it on Audible so I listen to I've listened I'm listening to it actually right now uh, I mean not right this second but uh, but currently <laughs> I'm listening to Boys Life and uh, it's it's just a it's such a to me it's you know hands down my favorite novel uh, across all genres and those are all great answers fantastic last fun question and Colin we'll start with you your beverage of choice when you're waxing philosophical. <laughs> um, well, anyone who's ever followed me would would immediately chime in right now and say that he drinks margaritas. You know that <laughs> because for longest time I 
I that was sort of it was almost like a, a favorite hat that you are known for wearing. I was known for drinking margaritas, uh, but I've actually shifted my tastes in recent years. I've decided I won't drink margaritas unless I think I'm going to get the best margarita I've ever had. Um, and instead, I drink uh, old fashions. I'm I'm really into old fashions right now. Okay. Um, I would probably go. I'm a big tea drinker, but if it's not tea, I like the. Uh, I could always go for a vodka seven. <laughs> I think I read a lot of Fitzgerald growing up. <laughs> you try to live the uh, Fitzgerald Hemingway life, although I can't drink nearly that much wine. <laughs> not yet. Yeah. Not yet. <laughs> right. You got to start somewhere. Hey, Marie, for you. Oh, I'm just going to get ringed. Um, you can only have one drink. <laughs> you can only have one drink. <laughs> like one book, one drink. <laughs> one drink. I'm trying to think of like what has the best staying power that won't get me horribly hung over all the time. Um, oh, I would... Uh, crap. You can I'm never... a little troubled that you are having such a hard time determining. Just so you can't remember. You just can't pick one. <laughs> I'm trying to think what I'm drinking now. Um, I'm just thinking if I only get the one... Like forever, I think I can always, and I don't want to be a stereotype, but I could always drink a PBR and you know, it's going to be the exact same thing, no matter where you get it and it's going to be cheap. So no matter at any point in my life, I can drink one and I'm not ashamed to admit it. <laughs> I don't it's just think. just like home. <laughs> Very good. Very good. So before we wrap up. Uh, what are each of you working on besides this book? I know you all have a lot of irons in the fire. What other publications are you writing, drawing, coloring, and lettering? Colin, we'll start with you. You have quite a few. Yeah, uh, I'm working on a lot right now. Uh, I am, uh, in addition to regression, I am working on uh, – I'm, I'm keeping it creepy in the comic book realm right now. I, I write a book called Harrow County, which is sort of a, a rural gothic fairy tale for Dark Horse. Uh, I am returning to uh, – for Oni Press, I'm returning to a book called The Damned, which is a gangster meets demon story. Yes. Uh, and that was the book that really got me started. It was my first professional comic book publication, and that was you know over 10 years ago now. And, uh, and we're returning to that book as an ongoing series, so I'm very excited about that. That just came out as a trade recently. Yeah. The, I, they I have just, it sitting in my pile right now. Yeah. It just came out as a trade, and the uh, the ongoing series launches in just a couple of weeks, a few weeks, and uh, and I'm, then I'm also doing a book called The Unsound for Boom, which is sort of a uh, a haunted house story in a, a creepy, insane asylum uh, that should be launching from Boom. Uh, I, I can't remember the release date, but it just got, it just got solicited so soon. Um, I'm kind of other than regression, I I had just finished up a book uh, called Riptide by Red Five Comics. And they're the guys that did, uh, you know, Haunted and Haunted, the second volume also. Um, that'll be out, uh, I, I don't know, I feel like that might be out in the beginning of next year. Um, it's kind of like a Roland Emmerich movie about it, you know, it's a tidal wave, except it's kind of personalized and only about this one group of survivors and it doesn't really bounce around the world. Um, so I guess that's the only one really you know, close to release. Okay, Marie. Um, well, I'm still working on lettering department H and I've got a couple other things that I, that are coming up fast, but, um, there hasn't been any press release on them. So I don't know if I can talk about them just now. Um, 
uh, and then I, I'm actually doing some work with a, a band called Pup, and we're taking a couple of their songs and turning them into horror comics, and that's been a lot of fun. So um, if people are at Lollapalooza, I guess that's going to be the first place you can grab it this, this summer. And where will you all be appearing? Any cons coming up soon? Uh, I don't really have plans in the near future for any of them. I'm probably going to be... I'm on Long Island now in New York, but I'm probably going to be moving in, I don't know, maybe like August or something. But I'm going to kind of wait to see where I land before I start setting up convention type of deals. And I'm going to be, uh, I'm going to C2E2 in Chicago. Uh, and then from there, I'm going to Planet Comic Con uh, in Kansas City. And then the following week is Free Comic Book Day, and I will be at, uh, I will be in Omaha. Uh, at Krypton Comics, and uh, and then you know I've got a few other signings and things like that in the you know down the line, and and I'll be in San Diego for San Diego Comic Con, and uh, you know maybe a couple other conventions. We'll see. I'm going to be at Planet Comic Con too, um, and then Heroes, and I'm still debating whether or not I want to go out to Baltimore this year, but there's a high likelihood that that will happen. I will see you at Heroes. Oh, will you? <laughs> I just booked my stuff this week. I said, Perfect. I've got to go because there's people I want to meet and people I have talked to I haven't met. And I always go to Baltimore. It's very much like Heroes. Yeah. That's what I've heard. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I also just really want to go to that aquarium. Oh, it's great. Oh, yeah. there's a, there's a um, science museum or two that's great. There's a lot in Baltimore. So it's a great place to hang out and just check things out. I'm all about that. All right. And Regression comes out on May 10th. Yes. Oh, Published by Image. Right. Look for it, folks. Gang, thanks so much. This has been a great conversation, and I appreciate you being on the show. Well, thank yeah, you for having us. That was a lot of fun. That was uh, three times the fun with uh, Cullen, Danny, and Marie. And uh, Cullen and I talked about that book that he published through Oni Press, The Damned. And I did pick up that trade paperback, like I mentioned in the show. And I did finish reading that, and it was a great book. It, I love the fact that it deals with gangsters and demons and how demons play into the whole gangster mob scene as the bosses so uh, it's really a good book and it is coming back as an individual issue book now that the trade has been released at a crazy price of $9.99 for the whole first miniseries I mean we're talking five issues all in one edition as a trade so if you want to get into the series pick that up and then you can start reading it when it comes out again through Oni Press I have a lot of guests coming up in the days and weeks ahead, some you've never heard of before probably, but or maybe you have, and now's a chance to find out a lot more about them. So uh, stay tuned. More coming your way. And how can you find out? Well, you can follow me on Facebook and Twitter, at CreatorTalksPod. That's at CreatorTalksPod. There's also the website, CreatorTalks.com. That's CreatorTalks.com. There you can send me emails and let me know what you think. And this little old podcast can be found on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. Subscribe and don't miss a single episode. And help spread the word about the show through word of mouth, by retweeting, by sharing on Facebook. Or rate and review on iTunes or Stitcher. Both are greatly appreciated when you have some time to do that. That's it for me. I'm out of here. It's time for my rest and relaxation and my beverage of choice. For Creator Talks, I'm your host, Christopher Calloway. Until next time.